Did you know that you're listening to a podcast that is extremely unofficial, but also extremely about unsolved mysteries? I think they do at this point. Five listeners. <laughs> Perhaps six listeners. We may have six listeners I think now. we have six. But I'm going to st- keep referring to five. I think that's just become our thing. Yeah. So It's so witty. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who said how much they enjoyed our collaboration with Mike and Josh yeah. from the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast. That was awesome. We got really great and sweet feedback. We had a little like influx of iTunes reviews, which you guys are fucking hilarious. Yeah, they're moving. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to I was thinking of what adjective I wanted, but each one gets funnier and funnier. You people need a podcast because I think you might be funnier than us. The idea of there being so many Robert Stacks, it's like an army of trench coats marching behind us in support. That is so funny. Someone is making their husband listen, even though he doesn't watch Unsolved Mysteries. He apparently really likes the podcast, though. So but shout ref- out to him. He refuses to watch Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> but likes the podcast. I don't get it, but I love it. Yes. So thank you. Someone mentioned when they were making fake Blockbuster accounts so that they could get free trials <laughs> and get Unsolved Mysteries back before it was on any streaming service. Which, you're an American hero, yes. and you deserve a Medal of Freedom. Oh, my God. So thank you guys so yes, we love it. much. We loved reading the reviews. We loved the comments. We got comments on Facebook and Instagram. We even got an email from people saying that they loved the, the podcast we did with Mike and Josh and that they're really enjoying ours, so... Yeah, it's awesome. It's been really fun. So thank you so much. It was just Thanksgiving. Yeah, how was your Thanksgiving, Samantha? Even though we just talked about it for like an hour before we recorded. (laughs) How was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was really nice. I don't have a lot of family obligations. It's just my immediate family. And we have kind of a low-key meal. And then we usually either play board games or watch TV, which is what we did this year. Go Black Friday shopping at our leisure the next day. It was just really nice. How was yours? I know you didn't get to go see your family. I did not because of my stupid, dumb dog, Lenny Briscoe. Who has has worm worms. Who has worm worms. We stayed here. It was actually a very nice, relaxing day. I slept in and then almost immediately took a nap. So that was lovely. And your dog's fine, right? He came to you with heartworms. And he's he's being treated for that. he's, He's supposed to be like on death's door. I'm supposed to be looking at my dog going, oh, my God, will my dog make it? Yeah, he's supposed to be lethargic and... He's supposed to be barely eating. Uh, Not true. He's supposed to be, like, barely moving again. Every time I come over, he tries to run around the entire house. She's not supposed to do it. My dog loves Samantha. And so whenever Samantha comes, he's like, yay, Samantha's here. Woo! And then we have to be like, no, don't run around. You're going to have a stroke. Yeah, because the worms could, like, cause him to have a It's gross. Let's not even think about it. It's so disgusting. We gross out our listeners. But he's fine, right? I mean, he's supposed to be quiet, which is why you stay here with him. Yeah, we've got one more month of this. So he should be done by Christmas. Fingers crossed. He's See, he's... I am doubt... I think he had one worm, and it's gone. (laughs) But he seems fine. Yeah, we just made, like, a big meal, and we did get a binge watch some TV, which... As I said, I thought it was the real purpose. Of Thanksgiving? Of Thanksgiving, yeah. That's what Binge I... watch your the television show of your choice. Yeah. So I, I had a little TV to catch up on, so I watched Stranger Things 2. I watched the end of the Law & Order Menendez. Did nice. you watch that? No, I'm kind of Menendez brothered out. Like, there was the series on last year. Was it A&E that did... I don't know. I didn't watch A that. two-part series. It may not have even been two birds. There was another documentary on them. And then I think 
some podcasts did stories about them sure. at the same time. And I just, I don't know. Those guys gross me out. So I wasn't really, although I've heard really good things about the Law and Order. That's interesting. Series. Yeah. So I didn't really like the cop half. Okay. I found it kind of boring and just like, yeah, okay. They found this evidence, whatever. I don't know. It just didn't, wasn't very gripping, and I almost didn't stick with it. Okay. But the it's a miniseries. But the second half, the courtroom half, where Edie Falco is their lawyer, is <laughs> fucking awesome. Because she just does an amazing job. But it made me, like, much more interested in the case than I... Oh, interesting. So now I sort of need to, like, learn more about it and find out how accurate that was. Because I ended up feeling really bad for them. And I don't know if I'm just, I've heard that, too, actually. I don't know if I'm manipulated by the power of Edie Falco where I'm like no this isn't fair but it like I've finished watching that I think I had two episodes I hadn't watched like late on Thanksgiving and I was like what why did I do like now I'm just depressed you're not the only person who's told me that after watching that series they felt more sympathy towards the brothers than they originally had so and I have zero sympathy for them so maybe I should watch it and see if my mind has changed I have no idea how accurate it is it's it's a case that I'm, like, vaguely familiar with. I remember people talking about it at the time. It's not something I've ever been very interested in or looked into. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. But there is a part... Okay. Spoiler for everyone. Skip ahead right now if you haven't Skip watched ahead. it. intend to. Well, no, it's not. Because this is <laughs> a true case. I think a lot of people know, know how it goes. Yeah, so they go to jail, right? Yeah. For life. That's the end. Yeah. But there's a part of, so Edie Falco's like, I'm so sorry, like, we're going to appeal, blah, blah, blah. And they're both just like, you know, it's okay. Being in prison is better than living with our dad. Oh, that's really sad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, is that true? Is that, is that really what happened? True? Is that something that they said? That's heartbreaking. Yeah. And there's another part where a different lawyer is like, well, if they do end up on death row, which, spoiler, they didn't. Uh, if they do end up on death row, they won't be alone. Every man on death row was abused by his father. Oh, that's really yeah. awful. So you can just think about the cycle of abuse and I how guess. that perpetuates crime. Yeah. And hopefully as child abuse becomes something taken more seriously, that maybe that will have an impact on crime overall. We'll have less violent crime if there's less child abuse. Interesting. I'm going to have to check out this series, I think. Yeah, it's slow going at first, and I was kind of like, why am I even watching this? Am I just watching this to hear the dun-dun noise? Yes, I am. <laughs> just so I can hear that lawn order noise. Um, it's my my text tone, so yeah. I can just listen to my text, just my text tone text over and over you again. while you're in the room so I can hear it. But yeah, but Edie Falco is so good that it's worth it. So I don't know if that's like really a recommendation, but... That's what I've been watching and been, been bummed out about. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other updates? I have nothing. Oh, I do. I have an update that I've kept forgetting to mention. So a friend of mine and listener, friend of the pod, I suppose, listener Angela is a forensic anthropologist. Whoa. How do we get her on the show? I know. She has so many great stories and is totally someone I just forced to be my friend because she's cool. Also, side note, if you ever meet a forensic anthropologist and they tell you that that's their job, don't go, oh, like bones, which is what I did. <laughs> and probably everyone. Because they hate that. Yeah. Because that show is terrible. And no one wants to be associated with bones. And also, yeah, they probably hear that five times every single day. So she yeah. was like, oh, yeah, I'm a forensic anthropologist. And I was like, like bones? <laughs> don't do that. She has had all sorts of cool jobs. While I knew her, she was working for 
the El Paso coroner's office. Whoa. And then also for a while was, she was working as an archaeologist oh. in the desert. Like, during the span of time that I knew her. And then she went on to, like, work at a cake bakery or something. Oh, okay. And also for the Austin forensics team or something. It's only, like, only, like, the coolest things that you've ever heard of. That's so awesome. Anyway, the point is that she let us know, per a previous episode of ours, that a human skull can fit in a coffee can. <laughs> that was, like, our first episode, yeah. I think. Wow. There is a case about a couple getting lost in... The Grand Canyon. Yes. And later a skeleton was found. In the photographer's boat. I the guy that last saw them alive. I can't remember anyone's name. Yeah, I don't remember his name either, but a skeleton was found in his shed and the skull was in a coffee can. And I said, can a human skull fit in a coffee can? Or yeah. One of us said it. And turns out it can? It turns out it can, she wow. said. Can she just fact check us? Yeah. Can actually, she be our fact checker? That's probably... A full-time job. Well. And we can't pay her. But. <laughs> okay. Damn, that's true. But, yes, Angela, I hope you're listening. And I hope you send in some. I know you have some crazy cool stories. And we would love to hear all of them. All of them. She once was in some sort of ghost hunting club. Oh, my God. She's the coolest person ever. That's amazing. Yeah. Angela, girl, come on the show. <laughs> please. Yes. Please. Um, so I think that's my only update. All right. Sweet. Human skulls can fit in coffee cans. That was an important note that we all needed to know. I'm sorry we didn't tell you this before your Thanksgiving dinner, so you can't tell your family <laughs> no, at know. the table. Oh, Just save that one for, yeah, for, for Christmas. Christmas dinner. Yeah. When maybe at Christmas you'll go around and you'll all say what you're thankful for and you'll say, even though you should have done that at Thanksgiving, and you'll say, I'm thankful for perhaps it's you for teaching me important life lessons. My brother once said that he was thankful for silverware. Was it because he was looking at silverware right at that second <laughs> he was asked that question? Probably. The thing about going around the Thanksgiving table and saying what you're thankful for is you're put on the spot. Even though you know what's going to happen because it happens every year, you can never think of anything off the top of your head. I mean, so then you're looking around and you're like, I'm thankful for Scooby the cat. <laughs> and you're like, that's your aunt's cat. Why are you thankful for that? <laughs> I mean, you have to say, it's just like, Tell your family you're thankful for them, right? Yeah. Because what is there? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could be like, I'm thankful that we have a home. I'm thankful. But really, you have to be like, I'm thankful for my family and that you made this great dinner. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to say, yeah. I suppose. Not silverware. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to judge what your brother is thankful for. He tried to defend it, and he, he almost did an okay job. <laughs> Should we talk about episode 12? Yeah, we got a couple of lost loves in this one. If you're so. following along on Amazon, which maybe you don't even watch Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> maybe you hate Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, you love this podcast. We love you. So that's fine. Yeah. But if you were following along with Amazon, we would be on episode 12 right now. Season 1, episode 12. The first mystery, if you want to call it that, is a lost love. I kind of love this story. This is Actually, I was just going to say that. My first note is that this is my favorite Unsolved Mysteries story. And if we were hand-picking these and kind of, you know, cherry-picking the ones we did, I would say we should save this one for Christmas because, one, it's about Christmas, and two, it's just so fucking heartwarming. It kind of makes me, the whole time I'm watching it, my eyes are, like, about to water. Yeah, I've watched this one at least three times. It makes my heart grow <laughs> and each a couple time, sizes, like the Grinch. Yes. Each time I watch this, this segment, 
I tear up and I get a little choked up because it's so sweet. I mean, I kind of hate Christmas and I hate Unsolved Mystery stories about the war. Yet I like this story. That's how good it is. You guys have to watch Okay, this so one. listen. I believe it was in the Magic Rock segment that and Liz's theory is that they just wanted a feel-good story. This one also might be made up. No, this isn't made up. I, will, I refuse to believe that this one is made up. <laughs> they do show up people at the end. It's, so. But it, this is proof that there are some mysteries that do, are also feel-good stories. I wrote They're down, rare. But I wrote down, is this propaganda from the army? <laughs> no. Get your conspiracy theories out of here. I love this one. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, so Karl Dentai of Budapest, Hungary, was a Nazi death camp survivor in the last days of World War II. In May 1945, Carl, his wife Teresa, and their daughter Brigitta were among a large group of refugees who fled from their homes in Budapest. Each day they were within close proximity of the Red Army. After their perilous journey, the Dentais and some other refugees ended up in Austria in a town occupied by Americans. As winter came, the Dentais were forced to live in a boxcar. There was like a bunch of refugees that were living in sort of a makeshift camp and it was it was like a box cars that they turned into basically little shelters yeah if the if the reenactment is correct this is a like full train just sitting on a track for some reason Not going any, well i mean it was they were occupied so i think yeah I so think the train they, wasn't gonna move yeah. so then people moved into the box cars and sort of made makeshift homes they had a according to the reenactment like a stove but basically nothing else it's just a it did look like a little makeshift home they had yeah kind of boxes Were they for furniture the inventors and... of the tiny house movement maybe <laughs> HTTP. give them some credit maybe they had a tiny house <laughs> oh is a goodness. tiny house just another word for trailer yup <laughs> Don't get me started on tiny houses. <laughs> a few days before Christmas, an American soldier named Philip came to visit the Dentais. He had previously met Brigida at her American-run school. He asked her parents if he could take her to a Christmas party for the children, and they eagerly accepted. I'm going to say right off the bat that when you first see this, you're like, hold on a second. Yeah, because we're Is suspicious people. Creepy? It seems on the face of it like he's going to kidnap this girl and run away with her. Fortunately, that's not what happens. I mean, we watch so many things where if someone came up and was like, hey, can I take your kid somewhere by myself? Like, that never goes well. You immediately think of, like, Albert Fish, right? Coming and yeah. taking this girl to or a party, quote unquote, and then murdering her. Whatever happened to Johnny. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, no, don't. Or at least, why couldn't the whole family go to this Christmas party? I kind of thought about that, too. But it sounded like it was just for the kids. I don't I, know. I, whatever. It wasn't clear to me why the family It actually turns go. out fine, so we don't need to be suspicious bitches about it, but... <laughs> We just are by nature. We're so. just like, what's up with this? It comes up. Carl was able to find some material that Teresa made up into a party dress for Brigida, which the reenactment of this is so adorable. That was really quite a dress. If that was I don't anything, know if that's actually like, what it looked like. If that was anything. I was like, that was made out of scraps. No, it, this came from Nordstrom's, right? Yeah. For the actual reenactment, she was wearing like a little. It had white. like layers. It had, you know. She also the had skirt a, was like full <laughs> and had like different tiers and a white like. Like faux fur little jacket. Yeah. It was quite the guy. Maybe they skinned an albino squirrel to make that. Who knows? It would have been several albino squirrels. <laughs> You're right. But it was really, really cute. It's so cute. It's it's kind of like the dress from She's a Small Wonder. Yeah. That robot girl. Or Christmas Carol. Yeah. It's so cute. That night, Philip came in a Jeep and took her to the party. While there, she remembers feeling very safe and happy for the first time in a while. 
it was just so sweet because they interview the family and Brigida says that she felt like Prince Charming was coming to take her to a ball and she remembers the glittering lights and the Christmas tree and it was all the other kids. Clearly the highlight of her life. Yeah. Like no exaggeration. This is the like the first good thing that had ever really happened. Like other than her family like taking care of her, right? This and, is like yeah. the first event where something like positive actually happened opposed to... Yeah. Living in a boxcar. Her father, uh, her mother had died by the time Unsolved Mysteries recorded this, but her father's interviewed and he tears up and he says that his family never complained, even though no. they were living in unfortunate circumstances and that every Christmas up until this point had been sad because they were living in a war zone. They were fleeing for their lives. They, they barely didn't have had any, any money. Food. Yeah, let alone money to have uh, Christmas gifts and, right. and kick back and celebrate. So he... They really thought it was a miracle that Philip came and gave her this experience. And not only that, but after the party, Philip brought back presents for the parents and for Brigitta and wine for them to share. And they they didn't speak the same language, so they had some barriers, but they still had like a little Christmas celebration. It clearly meant so much to them. Just from the interviews with the dad. It meant the world to them. Yeah. And you could tell, like he was talking about Philip, like this guy was a part of our family, like... He would have done anything for him, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he said that, yeah, and we'll get to it, but Philip had to eventually leave because he was sent somewhere else by the, the military. And then Carl said it felt like a member of our family had been taken mm. from us. It was really sad. But after the Christmas party, Philip continued to come to the refugee camp and bring candy for the kids and food for the families. Unfortunately, like I mentioned, one day he showed up and told the Dentais that he was being transferred to France. Before leaving them, he gave them a photograph of himself and his address. They, however, they later emigrated to the United States and unfortunately lost his address and all of their other belongings in the move. Which is awful. Yes. It was very They sad. already had nothing. And then the like few meager possessions they had got lost in their immigration no. process. And for years, Carl's, Carl placed advertisements in newspapers to try and find Philip, but they were all unsuccessful. Sadly, like I said, Teresa passed away, but Carl and Brigitta were still looking for Philip, and that's why they contacted Unsolved Mysteries. All they were able to tell, so they had one photograph of him, and military people looked at it and said he, from the picture, all they could tell was that he was a private, and they knew he was from Maine. Maine? I was going to say Maryland, but Maine. However, hours after the broadcast, Robert Stack says a viewer named Polly Dofty of Augusta, Maine called the telecenter and said that her cousin, Philip Pelletier, was the man that the Dentais were looking for. He's now living in Hammond, Indiana. He was quickly put in contact with them, and on December 28, 1988, he and his wife were reunited with the Dentais um, 43 years after they had first met. They looked at photographs together. They filmed the re- the reunion, which Unsolved Mysteries often does. And yeah, it's the sweetest fucking thing you've ever seen in your yeah. life. I loved every second of it. They were talking about it like, it's almost, it's just been 43 years and they never stopped thinking about this person. And they're like, it's almost as if no time has passed. Right? She was a small child the oh, last time yeah. she saw Philip, and now she's a grown woman. And um, it's just like, this meant the world to me. Yeah. Um... The, the thing about these lost loves where they film the reunion is sometimes they're awkward because there's cameras there and you haven't seen these people in a long time. It really looked like these people hadn't spent a day apart. Yeah. It was lovely. Can I talk about how much I love Philip's pad, <laughs> which has like acid green shag oh, yeah. carpet? It was great. I also want to 
clarify, we're not talking about like, oh, I love so-and-so's beehive hair and I love so-and-so's shag carpet. I'm not saying that ironically. Like, <laughs> Some I'm not, people might think that, but this is Liz's aesthetic. I, I'm not saying that to be mean. Like, I think that's awesome. Yeah, Liz wants her house to look like <laughs> exactly. this. Exactly. So I'm like checking out Philip's pad. Like, I <laughs> hope no one has changed anything. This place is amazing. I loved it. Yeah, it was He so seems sweet. like the sweetest, nicest guy. Yeah, he Unlike was. Unlike every other dude that we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was great. This guy, Philip, thank you. Yeah, and to think that he was just a private in the army. Like, he didn't have to do any of this. He didn't no. have to bring food and candy to the kids he in the refugee camp. He clearly just, like, actually had compassion for people. Yeah. And it's schmaltzy, but it is a lesson that if you are in... If you have the capacity to do something nice for people, even if it's a small gesture, yeah, do it. It might not. I mean, him taking her to a Christmas party probably was a small thing for him, but to Brigitte, Brigitte, but to Brigitte, it was the highlight of her life. Like she remembers this forty years later. How yeah, she remembers every second of it and how it made her feel. It was a sign for her that good things could actually happen, and I'm sure that helped her. In yeah. the rest of her life. Oh, and like, for sure. As they, you know. It's interesting to watch these unsolved mysteries. We talked about another, about another case where you actually see this like American dream thing happen. Where people leave a war-torn yeah. region and come to the United States. And it seemed like things worked out pretty well for them. It took a while to, to immigrate. Yes. And it just kind of makes me sad because I don't think that's possible anymore. I know. <laughs> where it's like. You like you can't carve out a middle class existence the yeah, way that you could. attitudes towards refugees. Yeah, so. clearly things have changed. But yeah, Carl mentioned Samantha's at one like point. Liz. <laughs> this isn't time for a political rant. Yeah, we're gonna. Is this is a sweet Christmas story? <laughs> but I was just like, oh yeah, here we are turning refugees away. Yeah, and here's this amazing story about these people that, of course, deserved a chance at a better life. I know. Anyway, sorry. Go on. I was just going to say that Carl's mustache is really great. <laughs> oh, yeah, it sure is. It's not, is, he our, is he our most valuable mustache? He's not my pick for MVM. Oh. I have someone else. But he does have a great mustache. There weren't a lot in this episode. I, he was actually my pick, but I'm curious about yours because I also feel like I didn't really think about it, to be honest. <laughs> well, it's, it's someone in one of your mysteries, so we'll get to it shortly. Ooh. I don't have anything else to say about this, except that I really recommend people watch it because it's you, so sweet. This is definitely something you should probably watch with like your mom. Oh, yeah, moms then, would love this. And then, like, I don't know, hold hands and cry a little cry. or something. You know what? Sometimes you're just, like, in a mood where you need a good cry. This will give it to you. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, Lost Loves. Oh, this is the sweetest Lost Loves. Typically, I'm not a huge fan of Lost Loves, but I love this one. And this one's not a Lost Love. Sure. The Unsolved Mysteries Wiki calls it a Lost Friend, which I think is cute. Oh, <laughs> lost, love my Lost Friend! I know. Aww. But anyway, do you want to talk about your case? Your Samantha's like, move on. Quit making schmaltzy noises. Yes, I do. My case is a missing persons case. It is a much more traditional Unsolved Mysteries case. We're going back to June 8th, 1988. Yes. This is the case of Matthew Chase and a sad one. Not in the way the last one was sad, where it was like heartwarming and it felt like a hug and you were drinking hot cocoa by a fire. Yeah. This no, one this one goes just, in a different direction. It's just brutal and terrible. So, oh, I just want to point out before we really get started on this that Matthew Chase was from Medford, Oregon. I wrote that down too. Look at Medford, Oregon. What? <laughs> on my notes. I mean, this, does, this doesn't take pl- 
place in Medford, Oregon, but that was the hometown of the people involved, and I just thought that was a crazy coincidence. Does everyone from Medford, Oregon have some kind of crazy story like this? I guess. I'm starting to think that they do. Anyway. Anyway. So this is the story of Matthew Chase. He was 22 years old. He lived with two roommates who were siblings. His so, very fashionable roommate, Teresa. I wrote that down, too. She's chic as hell. Oh, my God. I love... I want her outfit. Her... Okay. Not in, like, and a... And her haircut and her makeup. Everything is perfect. She looks like a model. Yes. But in a, like, not annoying way, if that makes sense. She looks, like, genuinely fashionable and amazing. Yeah. She looks great in every shot. It's... She, unlike most people on Unsolved Mysteries, I'm so sorry, where you go, like, oh, this is, like actual normal people you would just see around town that aren't usually on television yes. you see Teresa, and then you're like who is it's, this woman from france that's like a, a, of the world she really is so matt lived with two siblings they were his roommates Teresa, who we talked about and also a guy named steve they had been friends since childhood the three of them had moved from medford mm. to la um it was late at night around 11:45 on the night of june 8th when they got back from dinner and Matt realized he had forgot to deposit his paycheck, which he meant to do while they were out. So Teresa, because it was late, Teresa lent Matt her car and said, hey, can you like pick up some cat food on the way home? He should have been gone a few minutes. Yeah. It wasn't far. He usually walked to the ATM. He only drove because it was so late. Uh, he never comes back. In the morning when he still hasn't come back, his roommates call the police then Steve, they become super sleuths. Yeah, Steve calls the bank and pretends to be Matt and knows his social security number. Which in the reenactment, they had his social security card. Like maybe they rifled through his stuff. Oh, okay. So that's a good point. It. I should have mentioned. So he goes to deposit his paycheck with literally just his paycheck and his bank card. He yeah. leaves his wallet behind. So they probably had his social security card in his wallet. Mm-hmm. They call the bank, and Steve pretends to be Matt on the phone so he can get his last bank transactions. So he gets all the times and places. These guys are awesome. Yeah, so that they can give that information to the police and that the police don't have to go through the process of getting a warrant or however that would work, I'm not even sure, to get that information from the bank. It's like, no, here it is right away. Like, please go find Matt. We love him. So Matt... Went to the bank, he had deposited his paycheck and tried to receive cash back, but he tried to withdraw $280, which was more than his daily limit. The authorities theorized Matt was trying to signal for help. I've seen them say that on on Solved Mysteries before. I don't know if that's true or, or what. And then he tries a couple more times to withdraw $200, and that's denied due to insufficient funds because his paycheck hadn't cleared yet. And then he tries to withdraw $100, and that doesn't work. And then 11 minutes later, the card is used in a different branch in a different neighborhood, and the withdrawal is still unsuccessful. At that point, a hidden camera in the ATM, I mean, I think we all, they're acting like, oh, you didn't know that ATMs have these cameras. (laughs) Of course, we all know that now, I I mean, today we do. I don't know. Maybe Maybe that wasn't that common. Maybe that wasn't at the time. So they take a photograph. There is a photograph of Matt standing at the ATM, and someone is standing very close to him. It's really creepy. Much closer than you would allow a stranger to stand next to you at an ATM. Right. Like, right over his shoulder. So you see the silhouette of a face. Mm Mm-hmm in profile over one of his shoulders, clearly forcing him to to take out money and standing over him. You know, unfortunately, Matt didn't really have any money to take. Yeah. So this seems to be a, a 
mugging gone wrong. But anyway, over the next day and a half, there were five more withdrawal attempts. Yeah. By the time Matt's paycheck cleared, they got $400 out, and then the ATM confiscates the card because... The, Clearly something fishy is going yeah, on. Yeah, the bank knows that something fishy is going on. And then also they wanted to fingerprint the card mm-hmm. to see if his mugger's fingerprints were on there. Sadly, they were not. Matt's parents come from Oregon to look for their son, and they're also looking for the car, for Teresa's car, which didn't show up. They didn't find that for a little while. There's a scene where they reenact Teresa going to a homeless shelter, and she has Matt's. They have flyers, but also she has Matt's driver's license. And from the driver's license photo, the people at the shelter were like, oh, yeah, like, we've seen him. He's come in a few times. I think that's... A mistake. It doesn't make any sense. The investigators told them that they thought maybe he had been injured in the mugging and was walking the streets with amnesia. So that's why they went uh, to the homeless shelter. Of course they, I mean, once again, they're hoping that he's basically fine. He's alive. He just doesn't know who he is. And he's wandering the streets with amnesia. And that's why he would go to the soup kitchen to try to get some food. And the guy that Teresa talked to who said, oh, yeah, he... Didn't recognize Matt from the flyers, but when she showed him the driver's license, he said, oh, yeah, I guess he has come in. Is he tall and lanky? And she, that gave her a lot of hope. I think it was misguided hope because. I mean, of course you would want to think. Like, yeah, she thought then like, oh, we're close to finding him. We'll just like wait. How could he tell that he was tall and lanky from one little driver's license photo? But Uh, it was just, I mean, she ended up being a dead end anyway. They're thinking of someone else, I think. And also. I'm looking at the photo. There's a photo they show on Unsolved Mysteries of Matt with some friends that I'm looking at right now. That photo doesn't look a ton like his driver's license photo. I think most people feel like their driver's license photo is not very good. He looks much more gaunt in his driver's license photo. Like, it makes him look very skinny. And you could safely assume from that that maybe he's lanky. (laughs) Yeah, also, yes. And skinny. And I mean, he was, according to this, 6'2 and only 150 pounds. So he probably... Oh, what? Yeah. He, he, so he really was gone. He really was gone. Oh, my God. But also, maybe people going to a sip kitchen are kind of gaunt. I know. Right? Yeah. I, I don't know. So that, I think that was just a dead end. I think, I think that person was just mistaken, and they were thinking of someone else. Yeah. Sadly. So Teresa kind of gets her hopes up. Mm, you know, no, sorry. I hate to tell you. They don't, they don't find him alive and well. No. Um, three weeks after the disappearance, they find Teresa's car. Which, it says close to where he vanished. It took him three weeks. I don't know why. I didn't understand that. Did they dump the car later? Because it seems like they would have found it if it was close to where he vanished. That's a good point. I was just assuming they did a bad job (laughs) looking. Well, maybe that was it. But also, Matt's parents are there looking. I have more faith in them looking for... The, yeah. the car, then the police that were like, maybe this isn't a normal thing. But it was an in-depth investigation list. Okay, so the car <laughs> had been wiped down from fingerprints. And they do make a point that if you were to go fingerprint my extremely dirty car right now, it would be covered in my fingerprints because when was the last time that I cleaned the interior of my car? Let's not even think about it. But this car has no fingerprints, right? It's been wiped down. They find a bandana in the car that might have been used to wipe down the fingerprints. And Unsolved Mysteries shows you a photo of it. They don't really go into depth about the bandana, but the bandana is clearly marked for the gang Los Playboys, which is an L.A.-based gang. Oh, they never mention that in the in the segment. Maybe right. that wasn't family-friendly enough. But it has, like, the insignia of the gang, like, 
painted or screen printed right on the bandana. <laughs> like I'm not some sort of gang expert, <laughs> but it's obvious. It's obvious that that's what that is. And I'm sure the police knew that, but I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to say it. Scapegoat people or whatever. I don't know. Um, so this segment, the original segment ends. They're hoping that they find him safe and alive. And do they? Yeah, no, no, they don't. Mm, yeah, there's um, an update. It's not super On great. September 17th, three months after Matt's death appearance, his remains were discovered in Pasadena. His body was not identified as Matt until March 29th of 1989 because identification was delayed and some difficulty in tracking down Matt's dental records. Yeah. He was, he was killed by a gunshot wound. It seems pretty clear that he was mugged at the ATM. His mugger made him go to different ATMs trying to get some money out of him. He didn't really have any money. So no. they had him for at least a day and a half making him go to random ATMs and eventually shot him and dumped his body in a ravine in Pasadena. This case is still unsolved. Yeah. Um, they had a computer-generated like picture of the guy. That they created from the ATM photo, which one looks super creepy and two doesn't look like the ATM photo at all. Here's the thing. CSI and other shows have made it seem like if you have a crummy photograph of someone, you can enhance that photograph. To the point where it looks normal. To the point where you suddenly have a clear, crisp image of what someone looks like. This is an 80s ATM. At night. (laughs) At night security camera. That data isn't there to enhance. It's just blurry pixels. Yeah. You can get sort of the outline of this guy's nose. But you people on the unsolved comments were like, this needs to be reexamined. This photo needs to be enhanced. We need to be getting 3D. Mo-. Like, that's just not there to pull out. There's not enough of the original image. And even if there was, it's a very small part of this guy's face. I don't know that you could. People were saying like, oh, this looks exactly like my neighbor. And unsolved.com is going like, please contact us. This could be almost anyone. It really could. And the artist rendition that they created... Terrible. ...looks like his face is made of wax. <laughs> it's it's so bad. It's not helpful at all. And I and they kept referring to that instead of the actual photograph, which maybe because the photograph is so creepy. But I was maybe. like, no one is going to recognize it based on this terrible composite sketch. Uh-uh. That's, you just kind of get the, the shape of a nose. Like, nothing. It's like a lumpy, drip, melty face. I don't know. It's super <laughs> creepy. We'll post it on Instagram. I mean, this is a this is a very sad case. I think people um, on the internet, just looking at various comments, get worked up about it because it's something where it's very easy to put yourself in the victim's shoes. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to imagine yourself getting kidnapped at an ATM. Like, who doesn't use an ATM? Right. right? So I think a lot of people really would like justice for Matt because... It's a, it's sort of a perfect victim thing. It's it, it's very hard to blame the victim in this case. Not that you should ever do that, obviously. But I think a lot of people watching this story get worked up about it because they're like, oh my goodness, that could have been me. Well, yeah, bad things could happen to any of us. But right in this case, it seems like, you know, he didn't do anything wrong, wrong quote unquote. He also was so young. His he was friends so young. talked about how much they loved him. Yeah. And they tried him and their his friends and his mom and dad tried so hard. And you feel so bad for them. Teresa clearly really cared about him. I saw some comments. I don't know if this is true, but apparently he was like, 
that really goofy guy in high school. He had like a sort of new wave flock of seagulls hair for a while. <laughs> he brought a mannequin to the prom. He just seemed like this like Goofball. Ferris Bueller type yeah. guy that everybody loved. And this is a really horrible end to that. Life's so young. I know. There is and for what? For four hundred four hundred dollars. Like at some point, muggers out there, if you're listening, if you can't get <laughs> money money out of the ATM, just call it a day. That didn't work out. Yeah. Please. Please don't kidnap people and then shoot them for nothing. I know. He yeah, this was, guy was 22. He didn't have any money. No. He's just starting out in Los Angeles. I know. Ugh. It was really sad. If you're interested in this case, there is a Facebook group that's relatively new called Justice for Matthew Chase. Oh. I think it's actually Justice for Matthew Marshall Chase. Um, and they are trying to get the LAPD and the pa- Pasadena Police Department to look into this cold case, assuming that they still have the bandana. Maybe they could get some DNA from that. Oh, sure. They would like, they're trying to, to restart some interest. So if this is a case that's interesting to you, you could join that group and maybe pool some resources to kind of, it cool. seems like it's connected to the gang Lost Playboys, but. Beyond that. It's like, I mean, that's There's a huge, just not that much There's a huge gang, so yeah. that's not, that's sort of helpful, but not particularly helpful. And also, so much time has passed that I know. I'm sorry, Matthew. I will say that the person I think should win MBM is in this one. Woohoo. And it's in the updates. It's Detective Lionel Salgado. Okay. Who has his mustache is just thin in a way that's very strange. Like a John Waters mustache? I don't remember it. It's it's like he his mustache is thinning, but he doesn't want to give it up. <laughs> so he just he keeps hanging on to the mustache. Because you okay. can see that the hair on his head is thinning too. So yeah. he's just he's holding on to it. And I'll post it on Instagram. I just think it's it's comical and kind of great. It's like he had the cop mustache in his prime, but now yeah. it's kind of thin and out. He's, he's not ready to part with it. I just I thought it was a great mustache. A unique mustache is, is why okay. I Okay. I think that should win. I honestly don't remember it, but I think I was just kind of bummed about Matt. I don't oh, think I, I was thinking about mustaches I at this know. point of the segment. This was a bummer. So yeah, that's the story of Matthew Chase. If you would like to leave a little memorial for him, he is on Find a Grave. Let's move on to our third case. This is a murder, an unexplained death. This is the murder of Mary Lou Jerry. So on the morning of February 14, 1986, Mary Lou Jerry, a young affluent Houston woman, was found in her home, shot four times. She was rushed to the hospital and pronounced dead soon after. Mary Lou had been murdered, and her parents are convinced that her husband, Stephen, was the killer. However, Stephen has repeatedly maintained his innocence. She had called her mother, Maria Serrato, and asked her to go over and help prepare a, for a lunchtime party. Mary's mother, Mary Lou's mother, was interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries, and she describes going over to her daughter's home, and basically there was no sign of anyone. She went to the back um, where she found Mary Lou lying on the floor. Her mom said that she looked like she had fainted, and so she started to kiss her face and kind of, like, poke at her she's like you know giving her a little slap on the cheek like come 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 to yeah which is that's not very effective but mary lou had already <laughs> she she had it been it turns out it doesn't matter yeah she had been dead for a while at that point at 10 30 a.m the paramedics arrived and tried to revive her they injected her heart with medication to try and restart it but unfortunately she was already dead also unfortunately this procedure made later made it impossible to determine the exact time of her death 
She had been shot four times with two different guns, a 38 and a 22, but there were no guns found in the home, nor was there any physical evidence of a break-in. The front door was wide open. In her bedroom, her jewelry box was open. They think that maybe robbery was a motive, but... There was debate about this. Yeah, so Mary Lou's mother said that there was jewelry lying out as if she had maybe been selecting jewelry to wear for this party, but there was nothing else gone in the house. However, her husband, Stephen, who was also interviewed for the show, says, well, there were many things taken. The gross value was about twenty-five to thirty, maybe forty thousand dollars worth of jewelry and fur coats. I wrote, quote unquote, the gross value. What a douche. I hate this guy. The way this guy talks, we might as well just get to this because this is He's the type of guy that, first of all, is wearing a sweater like tied around <laughs> his shoulders, too. like the like a country club bully in an eighties movie. Yeah, who's like gonna go pick on poor kids? I, but also, just the way that he talks, like he's in a business meeting and isn't talking about his dead wife, is disgusting. It's, it's all about him, and also he yes. never says that he loved her. No, and he calls her an individual. He it's said so at one weird. point. Um, it was uh, the most fulfilling relationship I've ever had with an individual. That's this is as... supposed to be his wife. And he's... What? Not his employee. The other thing about the way he's talking is you can tell the entire time he's trying really hard to think of nice things to say. Yeah. He keeps looking up. He keeps pausing and saying, um, and kind of looking sideways. Like you're trying to recall things. I feel like he came up with these things to say before the interview, and he's sitting trying there to remember trying them. to remember them. It's such a contrast to, in the Thanksgiving special, we talked about the Southside Strangler case, mm-hmm. and there's the husband from Wales talking about how much he loves his wife and how much he, and it's just like, it's moving. And this guy is just like, oh, it's the most productive I have. Like, what? You expect yeah. him to pull out, like, a chart and, like, <laughs> prove that his, like, personal wealth increased during the time of his marriage as if that equals love? He never said anything that felt no. personal. He never mentioned how much he loved her, how sorry he is that she's dead. It was, I mean, that it doesn't, was, I don't know. It doesn't make him a murderer, but it does mean that I don't like him. Well, yes. <laughs> At the very least, I think he's a huge Dick. Jag off, yeah. Yeah, so he, of course, claims that in their three years of marriage that they were happy and productive, whatever that means. Mary Lou's <laughs> mother says that it was a torment of a marriage. The last no. two and a half years, which was, they were only been married for three years. Yeah, it's really sad. Her mother says it was nothing but crying. They were constantly fighting over money. The investigators viewed Stephen as one of the possible suspects, he owned several handguns, which were tested by the police ballistics lab. However, the results were proven that they were not used in the shooting. He also gave the police a detailed account of his movements on the day of the murder. Normally, he worked from home and rarely got up early. However, strangely, he changed up his routine this day and basically went yep. all over town making sure he was seen with people. Getting receipts. Oh, did he also go back the next day and remind people they had seen him the day before? Yes. Yes, he did. Not suspicious at all. You know how you go to Dunkin' Donuts and you buy some donuts and they probably don't remember you because how many people bought donuts that day? Think about the idea if you went back (laughs) and then you were like, hey, remember when I was here yesterday? And they were just like, what the fuck? Yes. 
And I mean, this is how weird it was. Everyone said that it was rare for him to get up before 9 a.m. And on this day, he woke up at 5 a.m. and went all over town seeing all kinds of people. I like that he constantly, look, I love to sleep in. Don't get me wrong. But I'm also not constantly bragging about my productivity. <laughs> and this guy is like, she made me so productive. Also, I never get up before 9. <laughs> Oh <laughs> From 7.30 when he called to check in on Mary Lou to 10.06 when Mary Lou's body was found, Stephen spent most of his time with witnesses who confirmed his alibi. A private investigator named Bill Elliott, who was hired by Mary Lou's parents, examined his alibi in detail. He says that the witnesses we interviewed indicated to us that it was not his habit of pattern to leave the house before 9 or 10 in the morning in this particular day, he claims to have left the house between 6 and 6.30. When he left home, his first stop was at a 7-Eleven, two blocks away, and less than five-minute five drive. But according to Bill Elliott, there was a conflict as, as to the actual time when he arrived. He says, we interviewed the people at the convenience store where he first went, and it was their recollection that he did not get there until three minutes until 7 o'clock. A variation in the alibi that would have given him time to do things as far as get rid of evidence and that kind of thing. The curious thing is that Mr. Jerry had not only gone to these places that morning, but the following day he went back and reminded those people that he had been there the day before, which is no. something that I found unusual. No. Mm-mm. Yes. Bill Elliott also discovered that two years before Mary Lou's death, Stephen had purchased insurance policies on both their lives. According to Bill, each policy had a total value of more than $400,000. Ten months after the murder, he tried to collect on his wife's insurance policy, and Mary Lou's parents went to court to try and prevent him. They claimed that he had been the cause of Mary Lou's death and would attempt to prove it in court. However, Stephen Jerry believed there was another reason that the Serratos filed the lawsuit. And this is word for word. This is the so quote. gross. Well, there are two things that make the world go round, and that's sex and money. And it definitely wasn't sex, was it? Those aren't word for word what he said this, about his dead wife's parents. <sighs> <laughs> what to say i don't, I don't know, know what he's such a tool he's such a tool and i wish that he was just an extra in an 80s ski movie <laughs> and it makes me mad that he's a real person mm-hmm. strangely just as the trial was beginning Stephen jerry and mary lou's parents reached an out-of-court settlement but which side had requested the settlement Stephen claims that it was the serratos and the serratos claimed it was Stephen. so both sides point to the settlement as proof that either Stephen was responsible for her death or wasn't. I feel like the Serratos probably couldn't afford the legal fees associated with this becoming a lengthy trial process. The thing of it is, is that if Stephen's lawyer reached out to them and said, listen, we'll settle this out of court, that kind of seems like they're admitting that the Serratos have a chance that they could prove that Stephen was responsible. Sure. If they reach out to Stephen, it kind of looks like they're just in it for the money, which is what Steven is claiming. So look, if they want to take his money, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with I'm it. I'm fine with it. We're never, we never find out. They, um, Steven's lawyer got the court record sealed. So we don't find out who, who it was who reached out. I mean, but the fact that it was Steven's lawyer that has it sealed kind of tells you. I think you. you probably know what Liz and I think, but anyway. Yeah. Well. 
Um, the police continue to search for information about the two weapons that were used in the murder. Here is the quote that Stephen says at the end. No, I did not kill my wife. Mary Lou was the perfect woman for me. We had a wonderful life together. Exciting. We traveled. We built one hell of a business. We were a fantastic complement to each other. Even in that, he's just bragging about how he has money. Like, oh, we traveled. Uh-huh. We had a business that made money. Money, 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 money. Another sad thing was that her headstone was stolen later. Her headstone was vandalized. It was smeared with with dirt and then stolen. So her parents had a new one put up, and the new one lists her maiden name. Good. But I don't know who stole her headstone, and that's fucking that's rude. That's really horrible. If you look this case up on unsolved.com and read the comments, everyone says that he did it. And, I mean... No, no one says that he did it. Everyone says that he hired someone to do it. Well, yeah, I think this is like... It's clear that if he was responsible for her death, that there was a reason he went all over town making sure that his whereabouts could be accounted for. But a lot of people on the internet are saying, why has no one got this guy? And, you know... There's just not any any evidence. evidence. This is all just... We can speculate about his attitude and how he talks about it. it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean he's a murderer. We have to acknowledge that. It's possible he's just a jerk and this was a home robbery gone wrong. They did have a lot of money. I mean, that's a fact. And maybe if he is right and up to $40,000 worth of stuff was missing, then... There's no evidence to suggest that that's... Yeah, we don't know that that's not what happened. Is that my personal... Theory? No, but that doesn't that, <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't mean, mean that's not what happened. Yeah, we don't have any evidence. There's there's a reason he hasn't been convicted. The fact that she was no shot so. with two guns is strange. Yeah, that suggests that there might have been more than one person. I would I would think so. There doesn't seem to have been like a lot of damage to the house, but also maybe the door was just unlocked. I mean, yeah, people don't always lock their house when they're home, right? So that maybe doesn't mean it. that doesn't mean that they it, thought she wouldn't be home. They were breaking in to steal. A gross value of $40,000 in jewels and furs because this guy is, you know, flashing money all over town. Right. And they maybe they thought that she was not home and they broke in and she surprised them. Where's her cat Snowball? <laughs> Where was Snowball at this time, That's what I want to know. No, go. Oh, that's another update that we should have brought up was that case. There was another. Samantha sent me oh, another yeah, case where cat case. hair was used to solve the crime. I posted on Facebook. I can't remember the woman's name, but she sent a couple explosive devices, one to Barack Obama. And one to a senator who doesn't have as high of security as Obama (laughs) because he actually opened it. (laughs) Fortunately, it didn't go off, but if it had, it could have killed him. Yeah, making bombs is hard. I don't know that people (laughs) seem to realize that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Making bombs is hard. There's the title of this episode. Making bombs is hard. Um... (laughs) I've, yeah, there's definitely a few forensic files about people who've tried to send bomb packages and then people open them and they just don't go off right. because making, making bombs is hard. And but cat hair, cat in, hair is what got her, her convicted because if you turns out if you send a bomb to a former president, uh, people look into that shit. <laughs> That's really really serious. Uh, so yeah, she was convicted based on the hairs of her cat. She was apparently mad that she wasn't getting. Her social security check or something? It was like a it was like yeah. a weird abstract problem that only existed in her mind where she like <laughs> blamed the government for Yeah. It doesn't really um surprise. Her logic doesn't really make sense. No, yeah, big surprise there. But her cats her are cats so maybe, were her downfall. So where was Snowball? Mm-hmm. You know who was bad at making bombs? Snowball. <laughs> 
bet he makes a terrible mom. It could have been him. Well, he doesn't have thumbs, so. Yeah. It's hard. Why it's do you think harder. he sucks at it? <laughs> Why do you think he's so bad at making this moms? This has gone off the rails. Oh, my God. Snowball. Just... Snowball. Snowball. <laughs> this case, though, you guys, I highly recommend this episode. There's a little bit of everything, and... You just have to watch the interview with this guy. It's really creepy. I don't even think our descriptions do it justice. No. You're going to go, oh, Liz is always exaggerating. Liz and hyperbole are basically married, whatever. And then you're going to watch this and go, no, this guy's a creep. I mean. go watch it, you guys. That's all I have to say. If he was, like, even 1% likable, maybe we would be (laughs) defending him more. But he's not. He's just a through and through creeper. I know. So... And, and yeah. he got all that insurance money. Ugh. Yeah, rich creepers don't get my sympathy, even if they're not murderers. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry. Don't be sorry. Not sorry for Steve. Nope. Should we move on? There's one more. This case doesn't involve Snowball. This is another <laughs> lost love. I'm going to say. I wish it did involve Snowball because then I might have enjoyed it more. I'm going to say that two lost loves in one episode of. I'm going to say right now, I just kind of tuned out. Too many. I don't... I I had watched this one before, to be fair. Yeah. I couldn't really watch it a second time. I was just bored by it. It's... I mean, I want this woman to find what she's looking for, but also this sort of seems like too common of a thing to put on Unsolved Mysteries. So this is the case of Dolores Valadez, and she is looking for her birth mother. Um, She doesn't know her birthday for sure, she doesn't know a lot about her background. Um, her her ethnic background is sort of ambiguous to the point that her daughter had trouble getting scholarships for school. She wasn't able to get a passport because she doesn't have, like, the proper documentation of her birth, which is super inconvenient and annoying. Yeah. So she believes she was born on September 17th, 1947. She was raised in San Bernardino by her stepbrother, Maria Valadez. Maria was a midwife and a medicine woman and clearly like a really pillar of the community figure where lots of people turned to her, but also were kind of afraid of her, it seems. Um, Can I also say that she could have won MVM? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I don't want to be mean about it, but she could have. Well, I'm not nominating her, so (laughs) she's not going to win. Listen, Maria, girl, you Maria, rock, you rock I, it. Maria, yeah, Maria also has passed on. So that's true. Um, so she always told Dolores that she was left on the doorstep in a suitcase one night, along with a black kitten, which is okay. Something from a movie. Interestingly, Dolores, even as apparently as a small child, never bought that story. Like it just in her gut, she knew that that wasn't true. And so she well, would, it sounds made up. So she would say to Maria, why don't you just tell me the truth? Which is kind of hilarious. A little child just being like, Maria, listen. Maria, tell me the level truth. with me. <laughs> I'm sick of this shit. Okay. So Maria had previously adopted two children who and told them who their biological parents were, but she refused to answer Dolores' questions regarding her family and also never legally adopted her, which is part of the reason that Dolores' paperwork situation is like so frustrating Mm -hmm. like she sort of doesn't exist which is horrible yeah um when Dolores was in the fourth grade Maria passed away and then she was sent to various foster homes until she aged out of the system in 65 when she gave birth to her daughter Erika in 1970 she 
sort of got reinterested in finding out who her birth family was, and she started off on this quest. She had the pretty clever idea that if she couldn't find a record of her birth, she would try to find a record of her baptism, which would not have occurred to me and is smart. So she did find a record of that in uh, the San Salvador Catholic Church in Colton, California. And in her baptism record, her godparents were listed as two people that she didn't know. So she started looking into that. She also found, she knew that she had been hospitalized as a child. So she went and she got that hospital record. And interestingly, on that record, um, Maria is listed as her aunt and not her stepmother. And it also listed a different birthday. So is that like a clerical error? Is that her real birthday? Right. It, it sort of you know, brings up more information. Oh, something that I forgot was that on her baptism record, it also listed her mother as Esther Valadez and that that was, that she was deceased. She doesn't know who that is, right? Yep. So was that an alias for someone? Was that actually her mother? Um, there's a scene where she like confronts her brother that she was raised with with Maria saying when you were a child you told me that you knew the truth and you couldn't tell me and he denies having ever said that and possibly that was just like a childhood taunt yeah possibly he knows something she feels like people are still kind of scared of Maria I would phrase it more as if people in her family know something they just don't think it's something you should talk about I don't know that they're literally like afraid of Maria's ghost but what this Okay, so that's that's basically the whole story. She's trying to figure out her birthright. What this situation seems to be to me is that someone in the family had a child out of wedlock. It might have been a rape or incest situation. It might have just been someone that got pregnant really young. And so they weren't able to raise the child themselves. And they passed Dolores off to Maria, who was a midwife who had taken in other children. Yeah. And that there's something shameful about it so that the family didn't want to talk about it. I think they even had an expert in the show that said something like that, basically. Like, this isn't as uncommon as people think. And there's probably, you know, that's probably the reason. I know you you hear of, I don't know if you call them cases, but you hear of situations where someone thinks they have, say, an older sister that's, there's a 15 years age gap, and then it turns out, oh, the person I thought was my mother is actually my grandmother, and the person I thought was my sister is actually my mom, and yeah. um, we've just been raised as if we're both. You know what I mean? Because it was too. It's too shameful. It's too shameful rather than admit yeah. that someone was gave birth at 15 years old. I I doubt this happens so much anymore, but I could definitely see I this happening. That. If she, you know, she was born in 47, that there was some situation that that the family didn't want to admit was happening. And And unfortunately, she had to live her entire life not knowing who her real parents are. Yeah. And this is listed as still unsolved. This is like a personal thing. I don't know that we would know if she ever found out. Do you know what I mean? There's not going to be news articles about it. (laughs) Right. So maybe she did find out. People on the internet, very nicely, there's some Reddit threads and stuff where people were trying to do different genealogy research and help her out. and, and, And maybe some of that, maybe she'll come across that and that's helpful. But I also think it's very likely that she might have found out and there's there's no reason why we would know no. <laughs> like that's her private like she wanted help finding her mother but when she does that's her private business yeah, the internet doesn't have a right to know <laughs> yeah so i i hope 
she seemed like a really nice person, and I hope that she found the answers that she was looking for. And and yeah, I mean, I and also that she just knows that has nothing to do with her, right? Like clearly, this is a family situation, and it doesn't sound like she had a really great life with Maria, and then she ended up in foster care, and maybe that wasn't great either. So. I, I mean, I hope she got the therapy she needed, I guess. Yeah. It's it's sad, but it's not very interesting. I'm, I hope that doesn't sound mean. No, I get what you're saying because I don't even know if I made it through it the second, <laughs> the second watch. It's just boring because, like you said, it's really her own personal. I just think this is actually not that uncommon. And I understand that she appealed to Unsolved Mysteries. Like, can you help me figure this out? Like, maybe someone watched the show and you know, my, like, third cousin twice removed will watch mm-hmm. it and knows the truth, but... I'm surprised Unsolved Mysteries didn't try and call it Satanism. Yeah. To make it more exciting. Does Dolores' mom have amnesia? <laughs> Was she given away as part of a pact with the devil? I Yeah, there's really nothing sensational about this case. There's really... There's, like, a, a very well-lit reenactment of a, a suitcase left on a porch that they keep showing. <laughs> They clearly put a lot of effort into that vignette. But other than that, there's not a, there's not a lot here. And uh, I just wish the best for Dolores, and that's it. I mean. That's that's all we have. That's all. Should we rate this episode? Yeah, yeah. Let's. I'm curious to hear your th- thoughts on it. Well, okay. So our first category is mysteriousness. Mm, not that mysterious. No. Thumbs down on mysterious for me. I have to go a thumbs down too. Well, the only one that I would say would be mysterious is your first one. Yeah, the Matthew Chase case is mysterious. I mean, it seems like it's gang violence, but we don't know who. Yeah. Um. But that's not really enough to elevate. No. It. I mean, for for one out of four, no thumbs down for mysteriousness. This isn't this isn't an episode to watch if you are looking for mystery. No. Our second category is reenactments, which I have to say, not a, there's just not Thumb a lot sideways. of there's not a lot of action in no. these, right? So there's not a lot of opportunities. There's no fumbles. There's no son of Sam <laughs> firing no. on a vehicle. There's, there's just not a lot of opportunity. I mean, for maybe it's even a thumbs down. There's just not a lot there. I will give it a thumb sideways for one moment. In I, it was the Matthew Chase case. Yeah, there was a moment where they kind of they jumped cut between Teresa talking and a scene where this 80s synth music plays and a old police car rises over the hill. Yes. It was perfect. I could have used so much more of that. But it was just a moment. It was when they were finding the vehicle and all of a sudden this music's playing and these police officers jump out. I don't know that we've talked enough on this show about how, well, first of all, I just love synth music and I just love 80s music. So, (laughs) but the music on the show is so good. It is good. And I don't often pay as Close enough attention. This one just stood out to me because it was like an 80s movie playing right. out for a moment I, on Unsolved Mysteries. And I love, I don't, you know, maybe you can tell by the fact I'm praising someone's acid green shag park carpet. <laughs> I just like retro stuff and I'm just an insanely nostalgic person. So I really like seeing those like super square police cars and yeah. cabs and stuff. There's just something that kind of warms my heart about it. It was really good. And yeah, do you get that with some synth music? This is why other shows sort of in the same genre, like say a Snapped, don't have quite the same appeal to me. Because yeah. they, they could really use, well, there's a lot of things Snaps could do to improve, but <laughs> I wish I had some synth music. I know. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah, that was thumb sideways. Fashion was extremely good. Yeah, really good. There were so many perms. Uh, Mary Lou's mom has the biggest perm, and I love it. Yes. Shoulder pads, just great. I mean, I think 
Brigida has some. And again, I'm not her making fun of her. Her 80s sweater was the, so good. Her 80s sweaters are so stylish right now. Yeah. Like, they've totally come back. She's mm-hmm. been vindicated. And she looks great. And she's rocking them. Oh, yeah. Teresa from the Matthew Chase. I mean, her look the is sh- timeless. One of the, sh- yeah, totally timeless, like, French New Wave kind of look with the, she's like rocking a pixie like no one else could. So good. I want her that haircut. Her lipstick is on point. I want that haircut, but I know that I can't pull it off because I'm not Teresa. And I'm not chic enough. No, she's amazing. Be my friend, Teresa. <laughs> Please. Please. Her puffy sleeved black turtleneck that she tucked into her white pants. So good. I mean, I love only Teresa could do it. Only she yeah. could pull it off. So yeah, thumbs up for fashion. What about Robert Stack's outfits? I at one point wrote down that he was wearing a particularly bad tie. It was like a muted floral paisley. Oh, I missed that one. It was when he's wearing a suit, I just kind of look past it. I mean, I guess he's kind of always wearing a suit. And I'm starting to wonder why we later, even judge his outfits. No, no, no. In the later episodes, he gets a he little gets a more, more stylish. Fashion. He wears a lot more turtlenecks, a lot more high-waisted khaki pants. I mean, I Every once in a while, he's forced down. He did a wear a nice parka. jacket at one point, but it was with, like, the worst 80s, like, supposedly tasteful tie. And I just hated it. Yeah, not great. Thumbs, Thumbs down. down. So I thought the MVM should go to Detective Lionel. Because I'm just going to take mustache. your word for it because I I'll trust you. I'll post it you. On, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And overall, I'm. what do you give this out of Robert Stacks? <sighs> despite loving the Christmas segment. I know. That's why I'm torn. And despite being sad for Matthew, I think I'm going to give it a three. I was thinking three and a half. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, you don't have to give it what I give it. We can disagree. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Um, one out of five, Robert says. No, a, I'm a three and a half. Just it's fine, but two lost loves is one too many. Oh, I, I that's, like that's true. I that's like having point. some variety in my unsolved mysteries. Don't get me wrong, but two lost loves, spread those out, <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't need two people that are searching for someone. I'm not saying don't watch this episode. But it's certainly not my favorite, and I think I am going to give it a three for having okay. two lost loves. Cool, cool. So that takes us to our final segment, which is recommendations. Do you have one? So I thought that I didn't have a recommendation. Oh, yeah. You have something to show me. But then I remembered that yesterday on the internet, I accidentally stumbled upon something that made me hilarious, like hysterically laugh, cry, scream. (laughs) Because it was so funny that Mac like came upstairs and was like, what the hell is going on? Because I was like shrieking. So there was an amazing Twitter thread that and the only reason that I'm on Twitter is because of perhaps it's you. So I guess thank all of you because otherwise I never would have seen this. There was an amazing Twitter thread that was like, while people were home for the holidays, show me the weird stuff from your parents' house. And you gotta oh see it's amazing. And if you could I don't know if there's a hashtag for it or what, but if you can find that somehow, look it up. Because yes, people have weird stuff in their houses, and not just me, who's like kind of intentionally has weird stuff in my house. <laughs> There are, like, so many, first of all, so many seashells, which was, like, an 80s bathroom cliche that lives on. Oh, yeah, it does. Where she was immediately, like, I want to see some seashells. And then people were, like, here's a giant glass bowl of seashells. So many people had a giant. But then just, like, dolls that clearly look haunted, right? right? of course. Weird things their parents have, like, cut out of magazines and, like, hung up on the wall for some, Like, this dog was, like, hung up near someone's, a poorly cut dog out of a magazine. Someone had just, like, tacked to the bathroom wall by a, the toilet. 
Why? Why? No one knows. Why no one knows? This is a mystery that has There's, not been solved. There is so much. I can't even think of it all. It's just like weird, bizarre stuff that people's parents have accumulated over the years. And then they're like, Mom, why do you have this? And it seems like in every instance, it was like, I just think it's cute. <laughs> and it's course. like, but it's terrifying. One of those things was a cassette called Jazz Loon. <laughs> Wait, what? And as I was, this is what I listened to, and it caused me to hilariously shriek, cry, laugh. I'm going to play some of Jazz Loon <laughs> for Samantha right now. I, I'm so excited. Are our recommendations getting even? I feel like Samantha always recommends something really practical, like a book, and I'm over here as an illiterate slob going, <laughs> let me play some Jazz Loon for you. No, but, I want to see this so bad. Okay. I'm. Also, the loon being the state bird of Minnesota, yeah, this intrigues me immediately. I have very fond memories of going to a cabin and hating everything about camping, but hearing loons. <laughs> Turn it up. We got to Oh, it's as high as it goes. So it's like a loon got trapped in an elevator. It is... Some very, very smooth jazz, but also the bird calls of a loon at the same time. If you... <laughs> Why would anyone want this? I don't know. There's also one called Jazz Wolf. If you would like to hear some more sultry jazz music, but also a wolf howling at the same time. Samantha's crying now. Why? <laughs> I don't know why. Oh this seems like one of those CDs that used to be sold at a kiosk oh. where you would hit the little buttons and it would play the music oh, for yeah. you. I also want to point out there's a little like pamphlet that this was Liz the insert. Has up. This was the insert oh, with okay. your cassette or CD. Authentic nature sounds with music. <laughs> and this is from Northwood Press Inc. And their P.O. box is listed as, <laughs> as being in Minocqua, Wisconsin. <laughs> So I have looked this up. If you would like to buy a copy of the Jazz Loon CD, you can currently get it on eBay for $5, including shipping. Oh, you guys. So it's the perfect holiday present. This description says, in a sense, the juxtaposition of loons and contemporary jazz <laughs> that you'll hear on Jazz Loon is not an unnatural one. You might think of this as an interspecies trading of licks. <laughs> or regarding... <laughs> No, I would not think that. I would never think that. Or regard it as a collection of riffs offered by one uncommonly expressive species to another. Yes. The message of underli- the message <laughs> underlying these sax solos, y- loon yodels. You oh, loon yodels. Mm-hmm. And fl- flugelhorn <laughs> interludes? <laughs> yeah, sure. Who doesn't like a good flugelhorn interlude? It's one of unity. We are loon and human alike, put here to express <laughs> ourselves <laughs> and to jointly arrive at a hitherto under un, undreamed of harmonies. Oh my oh god, my you guys! God. Oh. This is uh, we're playing this off YouTube right Just, now. Yeah, you can go look find up, it. If look you up want. Jazz Loon on YouTube, <laughs> and you'll find it. Do you want to hear some Jazz Wolf? Yes. <laughs> oh my god, there's nothing I've ever wanted more. This, they probably can't even understand us. This is playing in the background. You guys have to look this up. I literally have tears streaming down my face from crying, laughing. Ja- <laughs> this is more like sexy time music a little bit. 
Where where's the, the where's the wolf? Where's the wolf? Oh, oh. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Jazz wolf on eBay, a little bit more expensive. So how, how much is Jazz Loon on eBay? Did you say? Uh, it's five dollars including the shipping. <laughs> so there's anyone you need a holiday present for, I highly recommend a CD of Jazz Loon. Which they might not even be able to play. I would be able to play it in my car though, if you got it for me, so. Oh my god. You can burn it for like all your friends. So five dollars will get you gifts for everyone on your list. I was trying to convince my parents to buy it as a present for a few people, and they were like, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god. Oh, oh yeah, I hear it. it. There's also na- like stream like water sounds playing in this one. Yeah, a oh jazz wolf is really an accomplishment for all of that the was... senses. I, no, nothing I could recommend could live up to Jazz Loon. That is so <laughs> fucking I funny. like the idea of it's like a, a loon and maybe like a little beret snapping his fingers <laughs> in a dark claw. I don't know. God. Oh my God. Is that, does that count as a recommendation? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. I brought Jazz Loon into your life. Consider it a gift. Oh my God. So... <laughs> I have a podcast to recommend. That's much more sensible and and helpful. I didn't really have a recommendation either until this episode when you talked about the tiny house and I immediately knew what I wanted to recommend. (laughs) It's a new podcast that's, it's been out for like a couple weeks. It's already way more popular than we are. So a lot of you probably already know about it. It's called HGTV and me. It's from Partners in Crime Media, and it's hosted by Rebecca Lavoie, who, if you're a true crime fan, you might listen to her other podcast. Well, she has two. She has a super successful Law & Order podcast with her oh, husband. Oh, yeah. They're also, her and her husband are also both true crime authors, very su- successful. They also have a great podcast called Crime Writers On, which if you just want to like kind of keep up with what's going on in the true crime community, because true crime podcasts and TV shows and documentaries are huge, and sometimes it it feels like you can't even keep spiraling up. Spiraling out of control, yes. Each week they talk about something on that podcast and kind of rate it. They do true crime TV shows. They started with Serial, but then their podcast got really successful and Serial doesn't come out that often. So they right. branched out into reviewing other podcasts, other true crime documentaries. That's probably what's going to happen to us, too. They also give kind of news updates on what's going on in, like, the tr- like actual in the world. Like, they'll give updates on the Indon Syed case and the Bo Bergdahl case. Oh, okay. Etc. That's not what I'm recommending, although it's a good podcast. HGTV is Re- Rebecca Lavoie's new podcast all about HGTV shows. You guys, this podcast made me like cry laugh out loud the first episode I listened to. So what kind far, of thing is it talking about? Well, their, their first episode is called WTF with Tiny Houses. <laughs> so that okay. gives you an idea. She interviews this latest, the latest episode that just came out this week. She interviewed someone who was on House Hunters who is hilarious and talks about kind of the inside oh, like deets. how it actually works. Yeah, what's what's going on with house Because don't they already own a house and it's like all fake or something? <laughs> I, well, yes. They don't really talk about that on the show, oh, but okay. they allude to it. Um, yeah, it's just so funny. So the first episode they talk about everything that's crazy about tiny houses. She'll People will call the show and people that either she knows or who she's connected with online who also watch HGTV and they just lament about how funny or ridiculous these shows can be i will say i recently saw a news item that the property brothers were once chased by screaming someone screaming (laughs) open concept socks and surprisingly that wasn't me it's really funny because in their latest episode you often lament about how you think open concept is dumb yeah and they talk about that in their most recent episode about how if you have like tiny children it makes sense that you'd want open concept because you want to be able to like see them at all times but like once your kids 
get it older. It sounds loud. It's, it's short sighted because once your kids get older, you don't want to see them at all. You want rooms <laughs> in between you. It just, you know, it seems like it would be very loud, and also you would have like no privacy or space to yourself. If you're also a fan of the True Crime Obsessed podcast that's host, hosted in part by Patrick Hines, who is so fucking funny, him and his husband appear in every episode. It's clear that they don't watch a lot of HGTV either, and she has them watch an episode of whatever they're talking about, and then you hear their commentary <laughs> as they're watching it. So fucking funny. I just love it. You have to watch, listen to this podcast. It's so good. HGTV I and think me I is what it's called. Into it. You would definitely be into it. They haven't done Property Brothers yet. They Ugh. did Tiny House. Or they did Tiny House everything because there's multiple sure. shows about it. They did Fixer Upper. They did Love It oh. or List It. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then they did House Hunters. I think they're going to do one just about House Hunters International too, which that one's going to be crazy. Because that show is bananas. drives me to murderous anger faster <laughs> than House Hunters International. I've only watched it a couple times because... I can't control myself. When someone is like looking for their third home in some beautiful exotic <laughs> place and they're like, but, oh, but the wallpaper is outdated. But it only has one stove. I really need two stoves to entertain. <laughs> and it's like, you do not cook for yourself. And how much entertainment do, not- do these people do? In every oh. episode of every show on HGTV, people are like, I really need room for entertaining. Oh, we could really entertain in here. I realize not everyone is a shut in like me, <laughs> but how much entertaining yeah. are these people I, doing? Do you need. Anyway, the idea that people are buying their, like, you know, beautiful villas in Thailand just, it just makes me want to kill the rich. It makes me a crazy. But I also feel like I get that feeling every time I watch a show on HGTV. I can't wait well, for them to do Property Brothers because that show makes me nuts. The last episode of Property Brothers I watched, they literally took a piece of a tree and, like, lacquered <gasps> it and put four legs on it and said that it was a $6,000 savings because it's now their dining room table. First of all... Who pays $6,000 for a table? That's insane. That's nuts. Yeah, and that doesn't even include the chairs. <laughs> like, second of all, it's just a piece of a tree in your living room. <laughs> like, it's not, it doesn't even look good. I don't know. That show makes me crazy. That saves $6,000, Samantha. Oh yeah, you you know, as someone who uh, likes an, an acid green carpet. <laughs> you can tell that. Property Brothers is not my favorite. Not Liz's aesthetic. I... I personally, I think nothing is tackier than a house that is just like different shades of off white <laughs> that has like no personality. Like, yeah. ugh, I hate it. 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 It looks like something out of a magazine. I hate if you have something that has like cool old stuff that you're just like ripping that out and throwing it away. No, I know. I Property Brothers, that. I'm gonna punch you both in the face. <laughs> And possibly run down the street screaming open concept socks, which I think <laughs> if you ever see them, please yell at them. I want everyone to be yelling at them. They're just open concept open socks. Open con- everywhere they go. <laughs> open concept socks. I, I mean, what those houses, people act like it's very timeless. It's going to look as dated as anything else. Just mm. give it time. You're going to walk in and you're going to be like, really? Granite? Stainless steel? Mm, no thanks. <laughs> like, those trends come and go. So get stuff that you actually like, not just because it's trendy. Yeah, because yeah, it's gonna it's gonna look as ridiculous as a Brady Bunch kitchen eventually. <laughs> yep. And I wish my kitchen looked like the Brady Bunch kitchen. <laughs> well, <I'm sorry. laughs> so that's all we have for you today. Yeah, go rock out to Jazz Loon. Do it and tell us about it. Yes. That's so and funny. if you solve any mysteries, we want to know. If you have any spooky stories, we want to know. Yeah, send us an email. We're pretty close to having enough stories to do a bonus episode. So we're probably going to do that soon. Your celebrity crush is Robert Stack and that changed your life in some way. Tell, tell us about us. that. Angela, we want to hear your 
forensic anthropology stories. Yes. I know you have lots of weird stories about bones and transporting pig carcasses around cabs in London so you could do testing and stuff <laughs> like that. Us. We Email us know. at perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. Go like us on Facebook. Yeah, Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at perhaps it's you. Y-O-U. Check out our website. We're going to have our gift guide up until Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. So if you are looking for a gift for a weirdo in your life. If you know or someone your that would like a beach blanket that says sunbathing for Satan on it, there's a link. I want to be your friend, first of all. Second of all, <laughs> you can go find them a gift on our website. It's yeah. Perhaps it's you.com. There's a special page just for our gift guide. Yeah. Because why did we do that? Because we wanted to. Yeah. This is our podcast and we do what we want. <laughs> All right. right. Bye, bye, listeners. Bye. Bye.